As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. Welcome everybody to another episode of Sound of the Loons and this time we get to be joined by Manny Lagos who I feel like every time I have you on Manny I'm like wait I gotta double check and look what what is your title right now because first of all I just get it screwed up every time but now it's changed once again which is truly why I think I've called you the renaissance man several times because if you think about your history with Minnesota soccer whether it was as a player and then going on to Minnesota United to Minnesota Thunder to coach to jam i mean you've literally done it every every aspect in the state of minnesota so now another new title for you but i want to talk about what that title means how it came to be and how you're feeling about it as now you're going to be the club's first ever chief development officer and also serve as a technical advisor for minnesota united so in your mind what does that mean for you and how does that sort of manifest itself yeah i i think um you know, personally and professionally, I'm I'm incredibly excited. I I think um, looking at the journey of the club, and and the accomplishments we had, um, both as a player, as a coach, and and obviously as a GM, I'm very proud. I also think, you know, we're at a point where we made some big changes, and we have an opportunity to think about how we want to take the club and grow the club. And and certainly, you know, um, on a personal level, I think there is some. <clears throat> excuse me, geez, um, a model here where looking at kind of the needs of how our model was the last couple of years, I think there's an opportunity for um, for me to help in a way that we can bring in new leadership, both uh, somebody who had kind of been in my role, but it was a little bit nuanced because we really had Adrian uh, kind of in the player decision role. So it was a little bit, you know, kind of chunky, whereas I think now we're going to create some some clear uh, roles for for people in these spaces that I'm excited about, and and one is obviously a new sporting director CSO, and the other one uh, is a, a new head coach. And I I think again as a club, you're, you're going to always evolve. You're going to evolve because this league is growing, because it's getting more competitive. We're going to evolve because the league is getting bigger, because our our club is getting bigger. We have a second team, we have an academy, and ultimately. Um, we should always be thinking about how are we going to be competitive on the field and and how are we going to grow? And we had to make some big decisions this year. Uh, and I think on that big picture level, I'm excited for the club. I'm excited now professionally because uh, the club has, has you know, has, has amazingly asked me to take a role that kind of has three different channels. I think the one is to still stay connected in the sporting area, both um on a senior technical advisor role. So it it does kind of put me in a place where hopefully I can take my, my gray hair and decades of value in terms of being in soccer 
and continue to help us solve big picture things, i.e. obviously, you know, not only, you know, being involved in getting the right type of leaders in, but also making sure that we have leaders that line up with the principles and values of the club and then line up with, with the goals and the realities of how we're going to strategize about how to build a great club that's competitive year in, year out. And frankly, build a club that when we have a dip like this year, where we're incredibly disappointed, uh, we have the right staff to to think and plan to get better again for the good of soccer in Minnesota and good for our 20,000 people that show up and cheer on Minnesota United week in and week out. Um, so that channel, I'm still very excited about. I'm excited to to kind of uh, be involved in making sure the identity of the club is is aligned with the leadership that we're, we're trying to grow. Uh, the other two areas, uh, you know, one is in the business development side and the other is in community relations side. Um, I'm excited because because that's a little bit taken out of my comfort zone of thinking about the bigger picture is we do have to grow this club. We have to build our brand. Uh, there's no doubt that we have an amazing brand that we have 20,000 fans and we've got a great brand to, to, to build from. Uh, but it needs to be built. Uh, ultimately, uh, the soccer business is not just the winning on the field, which is massively important to the success off the field, but it also means off the field, we have to be pushing ourselves to reality that we're still not, uh, maybe say one of the top five leagues in the world, and we're still not as relevant uh, within the country the way we want to be or the way soccer in Minnesota United needs to be. So I'm excited on those two channels uh, of, of being involved with the club and trying to see how those integrate with the sporting side. And they have to integrate for this to be successful. Well, and based on that, you know, just listening to you talk about it, I mean, we we know that from the soccer perspective, like the prowess that you have and the history that you have in the state of Minnesota as a player and as a coach and as a GM, and and you were the first ever sporting director for Minnesota United, if you think back all the way back to 2016, when the, the club got announced to go to MLS, and then you sort of changed to that chief soccer officer role, but now being able to really like you know, still be able to have clearly a, a hand in that, in the conversations about the soccer piece, but the community aspect, which I thought was like, when I read that in the press release, I'm like, you get pulled into every single community <laughs> aspect anyway, right? I mean, people think like if anybody in the club needs something where they need you to be, you know, on the field at Allianz, they need you to be at an event, they need you to be out front, like if you if, whether it's at NSC hosting people, corporate or smaller groups, Special Olympics, like you, you name it, like you're pulled into that because everyone thinks Minnesota soccer, Manny Lagos or Lagos family. So that seemed like an easy peasy fit. So to point out the the business aspect and so growing this sport in not just this country, but in Minnesota, what kind of um, meetings will you have to be involved in at that point? I mean, then you're going to be pulled into a lot more additional things. And how do you divide that time and, and prioritize? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of my brain have like a third, a third, a third, um, you know, and and to be honest, they're all integrated. I, I think the next phase of clubs in MLS and particularly for Minnesota United is for us to understand that the club is one club. All of these things are interconnected. They all have an influence in terms of how we build out and how we become competitive in a crazy competitive league in MLS. So to me, the the integration of the business model with the sporting model, with the short and long-term planning for both how we're going to be competitive on the first team and how we're going to kind of think about uh, how to create the most competitive way to do a second team and academy, all those things are, we're still at the early stages of a club and, and what I, our identity is going to be. And I think for me um, that, that is really exciting because we really do 
have some great things we've done as a club, both on and off the field. And we really need to continue to think about how we're going to use these, these measurements and, and integration to build the identity of this club to be successful. And, and ultimately, it's about being successful and winning on the field. So when I talk about being successful, it's all about making sure that our goal is to win trophies, to lift trophies for our fans from Minnesota. Um, but it's more complex than just say, you know, uh, the sporting department, or it's more complex than just say, oh, the, the club can try to figure out a way to kind of create a great business model. All of those things have to be integrated. They have to grow together. They have to kind of have uh, an understanding that, you know, the identity of the club is everybody has a purpose to, to come here every day and work for the club because it does mean something. It does matter. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited that, you know, that type of um, uh Comfort zone for me is going to be different. You know, I, you, you mentioned it. I've been GM or head coach um, since 2009 uh, for the club. Um, and this is a little bit different way to kind of hopefully lead and, and lead and help the club continue to have a great trajectory, which it, it, when I do these podcasts, you know, it's surreal. I, I can't believe, um, you know, uh, the, the growth of the sport, the belief from Minnesotans, the belief of the fans, uh, the successes we've had in, on and off the field. Um, again, I think the last couple of years, I would have hoped for a little bit more success, but still amazing. Um, and, and that's exciting. Well, and when you look at that, and I just want to talk about using that breadth of knowledge that you have, and you just said it since 2009, in some way, shape or form, you've been in a, in a position on the sporting side that has an influence on decisions, building What's the product on the field, whatever it might be. And now there's this in-between time. And I think a lot of people that are going to be watching and listening to this podcast are wondering what is happening now? You know, we had Sherry Ballard on the CEO last week in the podcast, and she talked from that perspective, but what is your, your role in this moment at this time? How are decisions being made? And I just want to preface it in, in a, not the same, but different manner. We, t we talked to, um, Josh Wolf a lot right during the season and he was frustrated on some of the, the lack of decisions that got to be made or the timing of them because of everything that was going on with their situation with Claudio Reyna and how that affected some of the sporting decisions that they could make. You have a clear cut opportunity here in your role to navigate contract decisions. I mean, I don't even know what all is, is happening in, in Minnesota United right now, but who is navigating that? How is that being navigated and handled? I think that's what the fans want to know as well. Sure. I, I mean, I, I feel very comfortable talking about um, where we are. You know, right now I'm in an interim CSO position. Uh, we have an interim head coach in Sean McCulley, and we have an interim technical director in Hank Stebbins as kind of the three that we're truly trying to navigate. We have a great sporting staff. We, we have uh, a scouting staff, data analytics staff. We, we have people here that are behind the scenes working very hard to do as much as we can in this transition time to make sure two things happen. We run the club in a day-to-day -day way that the expectation of the club is the most important thing. So uh, I think everybody here understands that. I think there's a process here that's very collaborative and I think it's it lines up with the type of leadership we're trying to, to hire. So I, I don't think there'll be any, um, you know, there's challenges and adversity in this situation, no doubt. But I, I think we're getting through it the best we can. And I think it's in a positive way for the good of the club. Um, I would say that um, that also lines up with the principles and values, uh, you know, that Sherry and I have talked about in terms of who we want to hire and why we want to get the quality leadership we want and the principles and values of the type of people who are excited to be collaborative and push this club forward 
to its next iteration of making sure we have we're aspirational competitive. Our expectation is to build championship teams. And so to me, um, all those things are happening in the short term. Yeah, we have to deal with the day-to-day model. And, you know, we have a staff here. And, and again, I'm I'm here to, to do that until our new new leadership gets in place. And um, we're working on that timeline aggressively right now. I think over the next little bit here, we'll have some great announcements that'll really start to put a direction uh, where this club can really, you know, get people excited about where we're going. When we asked Sherry last week, you know, sort of checking boxes on what are the qualities that are being looked at and looked for in the in the decisions being made going forward. And I know that was a collaborative effort. When you look at some of those boxes that you wanted to check or maybe some qualities or, or things like that, what were some of the boxes when you guys had these meetings and you had your input and others had their input on like what you were looking for in qualities and in, in going forward? Yeah, I, I think it's really important that you have somebody who really um, is excited to, to aspirationally push the club in a direction that the expectation is to win and win championships and has a, a vision and a story behind how they're going to accomplish that. Uh, that is, you know, somewhat um, indicative of who we are as a club as well and, and the realities of these amazing and positive things like 20,000 people showing up every game, like up until last year, our home dominance, um, like the expectation that, you know, we should be building teams that should be making runs deep in the playoffs, like the expectation that we should have a culture environment where the, the coaching staff and the technical staff are very aligned on what we're doing and why we're doing it. And they're very aligned on the identity and style that we'll play both on the field and how we recruit players. And so I, I think the opportunity to, find leadership that embraces those values, which I think are are both indicative of Minnesota United as a club, but even more importantly, I think they're indicative of Minnesota in general. So to me, um, I'm really excited about the process we're going through and, and where the club is, is heading in terms of that direction. What I think, you know, it's one of those things, having been a Minnesota soccer fan my whole life as well, and being through all these iterations, and you just said, I can't believe I'm sitting here every time we do one of these podcasts, and it's like every time you go to Allianz Field, you know, like, it's like, holy cow, I can't believe this is in Minnesota, and it still feels like pinch me moments when you see the the progress and the process that Minnesota soccer has gone through, and you kind of want someone that, even though if they may come from outside, that they embody that same sort of like feeling and passion for that Minnesota soccer community. And at the same time, putting the best product with the best culture and the best vibe and energy onto the pitch, kind of embodying all that. You want someone to feel what you feel when you show up, like, right, that same kind of pride. Oh yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, look to me, um, you know, particularly the last couple of years, a lot of my role is, is, bringing out the pride of, of who we are and what we are both internally and externally. Um, and like I said, we, we have a lot of work this year to, to grow from the challenges in terms of, we did not meet our expectations on the field. So to me, um, there's no doubt we have to put our hand up and say, how are we going to get better? But at the same time to do that, we also have to really embrace the, 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 the qualities and the growth of the sport in the state, the growth of, of having, I think, for sure, the best stadium and the best fans in the league uh, to to push us. And so to me, the, the hunger and the pride have to come out in this project in terms of how do we recalibrate from, from not having a good year and how do we create the expectation back to where we want, we know and want, and it should be based on who we are, which is, you know, um, a team that makes the playoffs and makes runs for MLS championships. 
Awesome. Thanks, Manny. I'm super excited um, as a fan of Minnesota soccer to sort of see what that next iteration looks like. I know that you guys are all working hard behind the scenes and Sherry says, you know, same thing, tirelessly on trying to find the right person for the right the right fit um, for this club moving forward. I know you are as well. So I'm looking forward to it and and seeing what that next iteration looks like and um, being a part of it and being able to at least at least watch it. If I don't get to be at every game, I at least get to watch it in some way, shape or form and be a part of it and, and be a part of this league. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Kendra. And I, I just want to say thank you to the to the fans and to just the Minnesota soccer community. Like I said, I, I think on a personal level, I'm very excited uh, personally and professionally for this new kind of um, uh, challenge for me. And, and I'm excited. And I, I'm excited because I, I do believe, uh, you know, this club has given so much, but it needs to give more and it needs to to really recalibrate in terms of our goals are not to just kind of stand pat and, and have our fans, you know, not expect to win and not expect us to grow and evolve and be competitive in a crazy competitive league and be proud of who we are. And, and like I said, ultimately, um, you know, win some trophies because, uh, you know, there's no doubt um, what we're doing here deserves uh, deserves that. Agreed. Agreed a hundred percent. And um, I just want to say too, like, uh, you know, when people are, like showing up every day and listening to the podcast or showing up at the stadium, showing up at events, uh, supporting the community aspect. Cause I know Minnesota United and our community relations put out the, a call for action for lots of things, whether it's winter clothing items or canned foods or, you know, packing this or doing that, everybody shows up. And so I love that, it, you know, it's been reciprocated in this um, community embraces you guys and, and the club embraces the community and it'll just continue to involve and evolve. And um, I'm, I'm excited about your role too, because I think it's, you just get to put in all your um, qualities into different aspects, maybe some that haven't been utilized yet, especially on the business side. So I'm excited about that. So thank you thank for taking the time. We do have segment number two. I'm going to make you stick around segment number all two. Right. I know here we're like wrapping it up, like we get to put a bow on it and you get to go back to work, but I'm going to keep you for segment number two. Kevin Egan, my broadcast partner, is going to join us uh, for segment number two to talk all things playoffs. But um, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Segment number two coming up, Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health. Looking for a way to get closer to your club? For just $25, Loons fans can join the Preserve, Minnesota United's official season ticket waitlist. Waiting usually isn't fun, but this waitlist comes with benefits. Being a member of the Preserve gives you early access to MNUFC single game tickets, partial season plans, and group tickets, as well as special presales for other marquee events that come to Allianz Field. Visit mnufc.com preserve to join. All right, welcome back, everybody. Segment number two of Sound of the Loons. Once again, Manny Lagos joining me for the second segment, and we get to be joined by the other, other Renaissance man on this podcast. As we know, Manny's done about 75,000 different amazing roles within soccer. Now we get to be, be joined by the other one, Kevin Egan, the, who we all know is the broadcast partner. I don't want to call you my better half. I don't know which is which, but uh, thanks for joining You're me, Kevin. You're my better half on air. You are definitely my better half. 
Thank you. I don't know. I don't know. We just everyone appreciates the accent that you bring the flavor uh, to the to the broadcast. I appreciate it. Good to be with you guys and you too, Manny. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Um, I joke about the accent because everyone always says you have a British accent and we all know you're not British. So that's why I was thinking. Yeah. Canadians are all the same, Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all the same, right? Just like anybody north of uh, like Missouri is all just Midwest. Like everyone lumps us in with Fargo, North Dakota, and even though we're not, right, Manny? It's very important. We're we're not even the Midwest. We're the North. <laughs> and uh, we're very proud of it. Though. So, yeah, anywho, we're going to get talking about a little bit about MLS playoffs because they are like thick and fast. Um, and then we have this like crazy break. But I want to sort of get your take, Manny. And Kevin and I have talked about this, whether it's been on air or off there. But the playoff <laughs> format, we've talked to a lot of different people about that, including coaches, as Kevin and I have led into our series. We did the wild card game with um, San Jose and Sporting Kansas City. And then we also did the series, uh, the best of three with New York Red Bulls and um, FC Cincinnati. What's your take on, on the playoff city series or the way it it's laid out this year? Um, I, you know, I, I really, really like it. Obviously I, I get to be involved in a lot of kind of big league decision-making policy about how we're trying to build and grow. And, and one of the things I always start with to kind of tell audiences is the, the playoff space is a space that I love from, from the fact that as Americans, we do playoffs really well, and we should push our chest out and show and think about playoffs in a way that can create exciting things, because really, th that's what being a, a, an American sports fan is, and that's what a season is. It's a regular season in a playoff, and the great champions win both, and the champions of our win, somehow they get to the playoffs, and they win a championship. So for me, that first element, I like the idea of us thinking about trying to, to put our chest out and say, hey, we do playoffs really well. I think this year in particular, um, a couple of things that I think the league is trying to solve, um, and they actually used some really good outside resources, did studies all over the world. And, and again, in some way, shape or form, there's even kind of playoff scenarios, particularly in the promotion relegation and trying to get into Europa League and Champions League and um, even on the lower end. So sneakily, there's playoffs in other parts of the world, too. But again, they're, they're done different because there is promotion relegation. I think for us, the identity of, of trying to both expand the playoffs in a complicated time with the international breaks, along with, I think, the idea that every team in the league needs a home game, uh, I think is a very important part of this. Um, again, you fight all year long for relevancy to make the playoffs. It's a huge accomplishment. And I think your fans should be rewarded the whole game. And that kind of, this scenario kind of solved that. It kind of gave this first round an ability to both deal with the a huge international break and also extend more games and specifically give a home game to every team that officially makes the playoffs. Obviously we had the play-in game. Um, and so for me, I, I, I love it. And then personally, I have the gray hair. I actually played in best of three series back in the day. Uh, and I loved them. They're awesome. They, they really are particularly now with the penalty kicks really, you know, resolving no kind of total goals, uh, a, a playoff feel every game. And I'm, I'm sure you guys as announcers get to feel that energy that every game has, has been an output of excitement. Yeah. And, and when you say, you know, pump your chest out with the playoffs, Manny, I'm totally with you on that. For me, playoffs are so exciting. You look around different leagues around the world, whether it's in South America or over in Europe and, a lot of the time, you know, you hear the, the mid-table 
you know, languishing in mid-table, mid-table mediocrity, and, and, and teams really don't have an awful lot on the line. And for me, with sports, I love nothing more as a commentator than stakes. Stakes yeah. are everything. What's at stake in this game and why? And how are we going to sell this story? And when it comes to playoffs, it's so easy. For, for Kendra and I, like, we, we're talking all week long about this certain game that we're building up to, and there's stakes. And I think with the playoffs, the drama has been there for all to see. Last night was exceptional drama with yeah. Atlanta and Columbus, and it sets up an incredible match three this coming Sunday. Elsewhere, other teams getting it done in two games, the likes of Orlando, Cincinnati, um, you know, showcasing their prowess. But I'm with you. I, I, I think it's wonderful. I really do hope, though, and this is where this may be a question back to you, Manny. Sorry, Kendra. Is that oh, you're good. as someone who's involved in these league discussions and that's played a, a role in this decision to go best of three, how do we get to a point with Major League Soccer where we get some consistency with our playoff format year in, year out, where fans can really identify what this is? And maybe you start, you, you can, it's easier to market, it's easier to get the word out there, and it's easier to build drama. Yeah, I think those are all good points. Um, I, I would say the, the goal would be obviously to build our brand and build broaden the realities that, you know, the playoffs come at a time when, you know, sports are exploding in this country. You have American football, college and pro. You've got the Major League uh, Baseball playoffs. <clears throat> You've got college basketball even starting up. So you have a lot of these elements where it's tough. I would say, though, that if, if you look at the other playoffs and, and the realities are, they also evolve to three to five series or they change. The NBA has has changed several iterations and also has a play in game now um, and an in-league tournament as well. Yeah, um, so it, it, it is tough. I, I think the goal is to to just get there and maybe get a couple of years of consistency. I still think it'll always evolve a little bit because, again, one of the unique things about playoffs is I think it it can it can evolve. It can kind of be something different based on how many teams are in the league or based on, you know, what the goals of where you're trying to do it. But ultimately um, the one thing I would say is getting consistent would be great. Getting, building our brand and the fans knowing when the games are would be great. It's a really tough time of the year to do it with the international break, just being completely honest. Well, not only that, but just even, um, and people are still trying to sort through when is my team playing? You know, some teams had 10 game breaks between game one and game two, and some teams had six or seven day breaks. And I don't know if some of that has to do with the facilities in which these games are being played. I mean, some of these teams are playing, you know, in a football stadium, if it's the Revs or, you know, you just never know what goes into these discussions and and how things um, shake out and what's available. But I think to your point, Manny, about trying to figure out that was a huge piece of Apple and MLS of having every game at 730 local time the entire year was so people knew where to find the games. But then we also have the benefit now of every single night for like the next eight days there's a game, you know? So, I mean, who loves, who doesn't love that to be able to plop down on your couch every night and know that you're going to watch one to two MLS games and now they're playoff games, which are meaningful. Was there any team that made it to the postseason that surprised either of you East or West that you just throughout the season, maybe didn't see it happening or they were in the wild card game. And so there's always a chance. Was there any team in, in either conference for you guys that was kind of a shocker to get in or not so much? For me, uh, Manny, I'll jump in. Maybe not a surprise that they got in, but a surprise now that they're very much in the conversation for MLS Cup, and, and it shouldn't be a surprise, and that's Seattle. You know, because at times throughout the season, I didn't see it from uh, Brian Schmetzer's team. You know, they, they, there was there were some question marks about whether Rui Diaz and Ladero had kind of lost it a little bit. Jordan Morris picking up injuries, uh, conceding goals, you know, relying on real youthful centre-backs like, like Reagan. I think they look really good now. And I know Dallas won the last one. I expect Seattle to get it done at home. And then you lean on a man. You've been there. Like 
when you have that playoff experience and you understand the smell, the feel, the sensation involved in the in, in how to get the win, it counts for something. And that's a big question mark around Cincinnati right now and that they've never done it. These players have never done it. None of them have uh, at Cincinnati. So it's it's just a it's a fascinating dynamic, but I'd probably pick Seattle there, Kidra. Manny? I just like the way you answered that because I actually want to steer away from the West because I think I'll be a little bit more emotional and bitter uh, based on the realities of, of our season. Um, <laughs> but I would say hats off to St. Louis, an amazing year, amazing run. Um, you know, this is a reality of the playoffs too. It, it is a combination of the regular season and, and postseason, which is tough and, and experience helps. So I, I think the team that I really, you know, has impressed with, and, and it, it, they, it impressed me last night. I, I was almost sure Nashville was going to take it to three games and, Orlando not only won last night, but they they handled the street fight really well, like really, really well. And uh, for me, um, they've probably been my biggest surprise in the East in terms of just how well they've looked and how well it seems like they're equipped to make a run in the playoffs now. Uh, they seem very deep in a lot of positions, and they seem like um, they've got a lot of hungry guys that come into games that their, their level needs to be picked up a little bit. So that's probably the number one team for me right now that I've, I've been impressed with based on the fact that it's easy to say Cincinnati, but like I said, it'll be interesting to see their run. And then the Phillies of the world, you know, they're, they've been good for, for years, year in and year out. Well, you know, based on that too, real quick, I mean, I feel like we've had these discussions that Orlando has been like the number two that's flown under the radar. I mean, I feel like no one was talking about them in the East, but they've been consistently at or near the top of the Eastern Conference, you know, just behind whether it's been Cincinnati or, you know, Philadelphia was floating in and out. I feel like nobody was talking about them all year, but they've kind of been good and been flying under the radar. They finished seven points ahead of St. Louis, top of the West, Orlando. And, and now we're, we've got this strange one where only Atlanta remaining on the Eastern side of things wouldn't host against the top side from the Western Conference. So when you look at the Supporter Shield standings, Cincinnati, Orlando, Columbus, St. Louis, Philadelphia, New England, and then you've got Seattle in seventh place. So, I mean, it would take something special for a Western Conference team to be hosting at this point when it comes to MLS Cup. Now, when you look at the teams that have have clinched and and moved on and gotten it done in two games, let's say, to move on to that next round, and now they've got quite a bit of a layoff here, Anybody that surprised you in that? I mean, we did the Kansas City San Jose wildcard game, and I felt like I felt like Kansas City is nearly unstoppable in this moment. Does it take anything away from St. Louis and the city they had uh, the season they had, excuse me, getting bounced after two games? And then any other teams, you know, Vancouver not finding a way, although that was kind of a crazy ending to that game. Anything for you, Manny, of the teams that have been pushed aside into that surprises you? Um <clears throat> I I think that's part of what the playoffs are is is people show up again. I I'm I'm surprised about Nashville. I'm going to stick to the East. Like I said, I'm a little bit too emotional about the West anyway. So, but uh, I I think the Nashville last night's game um, and probably this is a question back to you guys. I it, it was a street fight, but I was so surprised at how well handled uh, uh, Orlando handled Nashville away. And I I don't I think there's probably been some questions about. Orlando playing away all year where they could do what they did at home away um that that one for me was like probably like I was really surprised that that Nashville went out with a Peter based on how they navigated the season the league's cup <clears throat> and I just thought they were going to be really good excuse me good at home <clears throat> um <clears throat> sorry uh the question I have for you guys is um you know the the playoffs aren't always the most best quality soccer and you guys are announcers and you're calling games and 
How do you guys navigate that sentiment on that? Sometimes it is a street fight. And and again, I think sometimes people look at some of our MLS games in the playoffs, and I think it's hard because the quality isn't always there because it is going to be a based on trying to get a result that day. And, and, you know, it's why as a former player, I love them. The physicality, the tension, the reality that the games aren't going to be always pretty. Um, as announcers, how, how do you guys navigate that? And um, do you get a sense of that too, as announcers, that there's a shift? Go for it, Kev. My simple answer, I'll go back to what I said about stakes, Manny. For us, I, I think it's really important for us as storytellers, which we are, to understand what the stakes are. And if a game is a street fight, tell the story of why it's a street fight. Sure. Maybe that's maybe that's the players' contracts are nearly up and they're playing for their careers. Maybe it's that a, you know a franchise has never won MLS Cup and this is what it's going to take to get over the line. Maybe they were bullied aside last year in a playoff game and their coaches learned from that. And this this is something that's been a narrative during the week. So you have a Cartagena in midfield, you have an Araujo in midfield, you have a Jansen at the back that are just that are just street fighters, as you mentioned, that are that are ready to go into battle. And when you set that up as a storyline at the beginning and it plays out that way we we talk about this all the time uh, with you know myself and Kendra because we could set up a game and then the game could offer something completely different and sure. it's up, it's up yeah. to us to pivot in the moment and then tell the story of the game as opposed to the narrative going into the game um but i think ultimately what it comes back to for us Kendra i don't know if you agree with me on this is stakes and and if the game plays out and you can understand that street fight nature of it maybe it's not the prettiest soccer in the world but it doesn't matter because there's sure. so much on the line. Yeah. Well, I think at the end of the day, you just have to win the game. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And even if it's a best of three series and, you know, I felt kind of odd in that last game that we did with Red Bull Cincinnati, because we're going into this moment thinking there's no real pressure on Cincinnati at that moment, right? They had already taken care of business at home. They've had this, this amazing home crowd. So if they didn't get a result, there's no real pressure. Would they like to take care of it on the road and maybe have a little bit more of a layoff and just know that they did it and they got it done and they're getting, you know, gaining confidence, but there was no real pressure that moment. The pressure, it was desperate. That was Pat Noonan said to us, like, I got to see how Red Bulls are going to come out. We know how Red Bulls like to play, but now they're going to be desperate because they need a win at home so it might shift a little bit the way they press or where they press or how they play the game so as we do these coaches calls and these things in the middle of the game or in the middle of the week I think it sets up sort of how we want to to set up the game but uh, to Kevin's point once the game starts like you really never know I love the nature of the playoffs and I didn't feel like because it was a best of three that there wasn't any pressure on a game one I didn't feel that way I felt like you know, John Tolkien had some comments after the for the first one. It doesn't matter if you lose two nothing, you lose eight nothing. But to me, then you go for it. Like that's that that actually makes the game one more exciting because what do you have to lose? You know, you have a game two. You know, so I don't I, know. I, I, I love I, it. Go ahead, I sorry. I totally disagree with John Tolkien. Sorry on that. <laughs> Because because momentum counts for something. You know, if you go and you get thumped eight nil, you telling me that doesn't affect the group midweek, man? You know, of course it does, right? I, I just think the reality too, it, it shifted that the best of three. Now there is some pressure like St. Louis felt on that first game. Now, you know, you, you, you did have the better run in the regular season. You are the higher seed. It is a best of three, but the first games at home uh, in the past was just, you know, Kansas City would have won that series right away. There was some pressure now that went into the momentum for the second game. So to me, um, I really like that dynamic of the first, that, that first playoff season, best of three. I, I think it's, it still somewhat gives a little bit more advantage to the, to the lower seed, but not a lot. And now the rest of the way, 
the higher seeds really do get their home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And think about that for a second. All the criticisms on, on you look at social media, radio shows, podcasts are about that the regular season. It diminishes the value, right, of, of the 34-game regular season. It's rubbish, in my opinion, because yeah. look at Cincinnati now. Cincinnati go and, and they could have lost that game on the road against the Rebels and still wrapped it up at home. Every game is a TQL now. Like, you're telling me that that 23, 24,000, you know, raucous crowd at TQL Stadium isn't a massive advantage for Atlanta United today to miss out on the top four, New England to miss out on the top four, and now New England have to go to Philly twice if they can win tonight. You know, uh, it's just, it's a huge advantage to get home field advantage. You'd see it with Atlanta United last night. And yeah. Kendra, quickly back to your point about pressure and how things can change. I look at Columbus now. After the first win, they completely dominate Atlanta United. They, they, they play them off the park. But last night, Atlanta United, with their gala 11, Thiago Almada back in the team, they revert back to a, a 4-2-3-1, and they, they destroy Columbus, right? They, they, Columbus get a consolation goal at the very end, but Atlanta play them off the park. How the mindset of Columbus has potentially switched now ahead of Sunday, or the feeling in Atlanta has switched. This is why I love this best of three. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love that part of it. I, I'd also just say... Um, oh my gosh, <clears throat> this is horrible. It's like you've been talking. It's like you've been Jeez. talking a lot or doing a lot of work or something. I know. So it's this like is, something this is, is happening. You know, like um, you've been busy. No, I, I think the other element for somebody that lives in it, uh, the the regular season to me, my my favorite thing about it is that it forces teams to get better from the beginning of the season to the end. It forces you to make sure you're both individually and collectively have a group that starts in the beginning of the year and by the end of the year if you want to make a run in the playoffs, you have to be a better group and you have to be playing better to make a run. And that's a little bit different than in Europe where there's some of the, 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 the league itself, you can peter to the finish line and, and win. And that's great. I just know for us here, uh, you know, behind the scenes, look, we have to think about how individually collectively we're building a group that is going to be better by the end of the year and ready in position to make a playoff run. And I think that's, that's a different element, but I, I really enjoy that, which makes every game and every moment in the regular season really important. It's important whether you win or lose because you have to learn from it to build the group to get better by the end of the year. Well, and then what to that point is, you know, there's been this, there's this, always this debate about supporter shield versus winning, winning it all, right? Um, and like, you, you know, the supporter shield winners is the best over time in their consistency. But then now they have to still continue to be consistent if you want to win a best of three series to get past that first round where it's not just a one off where, you know, there's pressure on one team on one given night. And I mean, that's the tricky thing to me about soccer, too, and why I like the best of three maybe versus the one off, at least in that first round is because like. I think the um, soccer is one of those sports that it can go, one thing can go against you in some fluke moment, like a handball and a penalty, and you weren't the better the team on the night. I don't know if that's a, it's a plus or a minus that then you have an opportunity in a, in a best of three series to redeem a, a situation or a, a call or something that could go against you. That's like a fluke nature against a run of play. You my know? only challenge, my only challenge with this supporter shield, and I love it. And it should be, a, it's a great trophy. It's a, should be an honorable trophy. I, I'm a big believer in the integrity of the competition and, and not everybody plays everybody equally. And there's no real way to say that that total points is fair comparatively because we have such a big league. Now we have over 30 teams. So to me, it's, it's hard to, to say that's as, I think it's a big deal. I don't think it's as big a deal as somebody wins both the, the regular season and the playoffs. That to me is, the American champion in sports and, and our sports culture. And, and I gravitate towards that more uh, than the supporter shield. 
Do you think playoffs guys is more about, you know, leaning on the stars and this is the time that they have to shine. You could put them on your back or is it more like this is an opportunity for guys that maybe aren't normally in the spotlight to step up or a combination of the two. Both. It's got to be both, right? Like I think last year, look at MLS cup, John McCarthy, who had John McCarthy as the hero in MLS cup. And he comes into the game and, and he produces wonders late on. And obviously in the penalty shootout as well, it's got to be both, but I do think it's important to have those stars. Uh, I do think it's important when you look at Cincinnati and Lucho Acosta and the icon that he's become in Cincinnati since joining and how important he is for this group. But then on the flip side, you could say, well, Ian Murphy with the suspension out to Matt Miazga and Nick Hagland out injured, a draft pick from Duke is, is as important in a crucial moment like this. I love that we got a shout out to Duke. That's where my son goes to school now. So I'm glad let's keep that going. And play soccer. Yeah. By the way, a lot of, lot of good Duke players in the league right now. A lot of good Duke players in the league. So. Um, so who do you guys see for um who do you guys what do you guys think of the awards so far? I know not all the awards have been announced and, and like we're gonna kind of kind of get off the playoff path because it's all being sort of lumped together. But I know Yakamaki's one newcomer, Tiago Amada, young player. Like what do you guys think about the awards? Do you think there's there's value in them and and maybe like who who do you see going forward? I know we've sort of discussed who we've picked prior. I don't know how you feel about it, Manny. I mean, I love the awards. I think they're appropriate. I think uh, you know, the based on peers and you guys as journalists, all the all the voting, however it is, and the fans to me, it's it's a great acknowledgement to these individual players that have had amazing years and deserve it. So I, I think they're I'm a big fan of them. So uh <laughs> have we given out coach of the year yet? I don't think so. I, right? I haven't seen it. That that for me is the and this is where Kendra and I were chatting about it, Manny, that if We've had a few debates about this sitting around tables prior to games when we had one with the Spanish guys with Marcelo and like about if, if it was Bradley Carnell. But that's the thing. The voting doesn't count the playoffs, right? So like, does it change if you were like Bradley Carnell or Pat Noonan or I don't know who would get your vote? I think, I think, I think, I think it has to count the playoffs though. What, like, but it doesn't. On, it should though. Right? But it like, doesn't. Absolutely should. You, you, you're, you're coaching in that pressure cauldron. You know, where we're of the playoffs and knockout soccer, it should count. And I, I've said this to, we were chatting, Kendra and I, uh, Manny, saying that if our game was on par with the NFL and, and, and we were having these debates on a first take and all these ESPN and Fox Sports shows, sure. it would be an incredible debate right now, whether yeah. it's Riley Carnell or Pat Noonan. Which side of the fence 100%. are you? And get off the fence, Manny. I can't, I won't be able to get off the fence because you know there, there's a, there's a real world in my world of opinions. But like I I think they're both amazing. I mean, what what great stories? Like let's so let's be honest. Like it's really to your point. Uh, both are unbelievable stories, unbelievable years. Uh, you know, it's it, it it honestly you think about Cincinnati's journey and and how dominant they were based on some tough years, and then you just think about the entry of St. Louis and. Um, you know, I, I personally love that story because I do think St. Louis is ironically the, the most important historical soccer city over a scope of 100 years in this country. And I feel like they've embraced that that identity and, and really just hit the ground running MLS really well. So both of those guys deserve this, uh, what they're doing. So if we were to skip ahead, we're not going to go through every single series and who remains and who's going to step out. But if you guys had to pick an MLS Cup final based on who's in and in and around it right now, who would you pick for an MLS Cup final and possibly to win it all? And how does the international break? And this is kind of a side, but with this big, massive international break in the middle, who who does that maybe benefit or is that a detriment or is that just, you know, we just got to deal with it because it's the way it is. 
My, my view would be to hope teams looked at New England last year and saw, you know, this the the, the chunkiness of the long break, and, and they're thinking about how to, like, either give guys time off and build up for these games now. Uh, I, I think the nice thing is that the freshness of the players has been – it's nice for me to know that the players are fresh going to these games. I think there had been some times where we tried to get a bunch of games in before the national break, and we had, like – two or three days rest. I, I do like how all these games have been, I think a bit of a minimum of five days rest. So to me, I, I, it's been enjoyable at least knowing that that scenario is not there where all the guys on the field are fresh. Uh, have they looked fresh and played fresh? That might be a different story, but um, so I like the fact that 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 side of the break that's there. So then now it's up to the clubs and, and the, the coaches and technical staff to, to build a plan of make sure the guys are sharp and ready to go it does become complicated with guys who are going to go off and get load minutes in a different model than the guys who are in their club environments here in the U S. So to me, it's incredible challenge, you know, for the, for the teams to, to deal with. Like I said, the international break is a really big challenge for uh, just the, the, the vibe of MLF playoffs, the flow, it definitely gets interrupted. Um, whether it's the competitive world for me in terms of, of trying to keep a staff and, and everybody engaged in that flow of trying to make a playoff run. Or I just think from a league branding side, to your guys' point, it, it does really hit some some tough marketing issues in terms of keeping people engaged in the playoff story. So um, not easy, not easy, this global sport sometimes to overcome those challenges. And there's a lot of individual stories throughout the international break too that, that are very challenging for coaches. You think about Gadi Tinda representing Israel now. Mm -hmm. and he has to play four games in 10 days on, on the international break because of everything going on, obviously, um, which is such a challenge. Uh, but back to your original question, Kendra, I'm going to go with a Cincinnati hosting LAFC final and Cincinnati trying to take down the champions at TQL would be, would be a marvelous setup for the final, I think. What do you got, Manny? Uh, I, I think on paper it looks like LAFC, and I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna go probably with Orlando or Philly. Let's go with the rematch. Let's go Philly at home now to to, to, to go against LAFC. You know, just that's a good storyline for for the press there. You know, also same I, I really hope we get Manny. I really hope we get Columbus at Cincinnati in the oh, yeah. in the be, uh, final. Hell is real, you know, high stakes would be incredible. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um I think LAFC is not gonna find a way through. I don't know why. I just have like this weird gut feeling. I would love to say that, you know, Houston's gonna find a way with Ben Olsen and what he's been able to do. Um, but ultimately, I don't know why, but I'm gonna say this is some freak thing where sporting Kansas City finds a way to get into the final. And I think it's gonna be against Cincinnati. And so you still have that sort of like logistical regional um you know competition where they're not they're not like i feel like you know everyone wants to say it's regional like rivalries are based on proximity but i kind of feel like it's more about the energy and the vibe between the competitions like we saw spoken like a real minnesotan kendrick because we'll never have rivals i mean that's just, <laughs> I like i love how you're we don't need to justify it, Kendrick. we'll never have rivalries it's 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 our it's our one weak spot in Minnesota. So we Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But that, I I again though people try to force him on the issue, force the issue like based on proximity. And I just don't think that's the way it works. You know, I mean, yes, Columbus and Cincinnati, that's like sort of a natural fit. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's based on the competition and and how they play and what happens on the field. Again, I, I don't know if you know this, but this is our weak spot. We can't we we are in an island. Rivalries don't it doesn't matter what sport. The Vikings don't, we say the Packers are a rivalry. The Packers would say the Bears. So 
It doesn't matter the sport. We don't have rivals in Minnesota, whether it's proximity or it's it's a weird one for us, you know. So nobody would say we're their rival in, in our sports world, which is, you know, tough for us to take sometimes. So, so then I'm, I, did I totally miss that? So you said Philly's going to end up winning, correct, Manny? Like in the final? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Kev, you said? I'm going back and forth because I, I, I like the ideal final for me would be Cincinnati you know, being rewarded for everything they've they've accomplished and Pat Noonan going on to lift MLS Cup as coach against LAFC. However, I do think that if Columbus get past Atlanta, Columbus could be the team to derail Cincinnati at home. And that would that would be gut-wrenching. I mean, that would be so difficult to take for Cincinnati. And and honestly, a big question mark right now with Hagland out for for so long and out for the season is Miazga and getting yeah. Matt Miazga back on the field because with the system that they play does Pat Noonan now have to alter things and go to two centre-backs with two really young centre-backs in Ian Murphy and Yersa Mosquera? I'm not sure. Miazga's a massive loss for this conference semi-final. Potentially they better against- hope he doesn't miss another. I mean, I, I'm hoping that with this, you know, be resolved and he doesn't miss another game based on sort of more information that seems to be coming out. But it was kind of a silly move on his part. So, but anyways, I know you both have busy schedules. So thank you for taking the time. We're going to wrap it up. I, I mean, the beauty of it is as playoffs. You never know what's going to happen. That's why we play the games. I know I say it several times and and we'll be tuning in. I don't even know who is playing tonight. I can't even keep track. Really? Okay, it's there we awesome. go. I, I just know that I'll have it on and I'll, and I'll be watching. So I appreciate you guys taking the time, um, joining me for another episode of Sound of the Loons. And I'm sure we'll catch up maybe next week or maybe after the international break. We'll have to see when we catch up to keep track of what's going on with everything MLS. So thank, thank you both for taking the time. Thank you, Kenner. All right, have a good day, everybody. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sound of the Loons. Just a heads up, this episode was recorded on the morning of Wednesday, November 8th, before the official news broke of the new hiring of the chief soccer officer for Minnesota United. We will have more on that new hiring and what that means for the club in the next episode of Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health.